couple of pillars. Uh, I'm going to start with Psalm 23, which just as we were singing came to me. Um, so I'm going to start with that, and then we're going to look at this issue of prayer. So as we came in for that music, as we often try to do, as always try to do really, start off sort of out there singing quite loudly and then focus ourselves in quietly to come before the Lord as we seek confession, uh, seek forgiveness, and then come into our time of sharing the word together. And Psalm 23 in a way sets the scene for what I want to talk about, uh, because I want to talk mostly about personal prayer, try and give you a couple of pictures that hopefully will help that. So just as we uh, sit and look I'm just going to read Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It's a very familiar psalm, isn't it? It's a great psalm, but it focuses us in on this business of being alongside God, leading us into a place of quietness, reflection, and dwelling in his house Forever. Am I okay on this? Is it, is it, uh, is it partly me? Or? Away from your mouth? Well, I've tried, Simon. You gave me a hard time last time. <laughs> How's that? How's that? <laughs> I'm a very slow learner. How's that? Is that, a, is that better? Okay, great. So, well, shall I? I'm just going to stand over here. To put us, put us onto, the, onto this mic. How's that? Is that better? Is that better? Yes? No? Somebody wave at the back. Can you hear me? Yes, you can. Excellent. Okay. How are we doing? Are we ready? Okay. So Psalm 23, and I'm going to come back to a little bit of that in the, in the picture that I want to set before you today. This is the second week of our new series, uh, and we're looking at what was behind the extraordinary growth of the early Christian church. Last week, Tom reminded us of the sequence of events that followed Christ's crucifixion and resurrection, the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit's fire filling the disciples, and Peter's first sermon a sermon which resulted in 3,000 immediate conversions. And then Tom focused in on this passage from the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2. It's why often when we refer to this sort of sermon, we we talk about the Acts 2 church. This is what it looked like in those early days. It's a very challenging model. At its heart was their devotion to the cause, a devotion to fellowship, to sharing meals together, devotion to prayer, And if you weren't here last week, then do try and listen to Tom's sermon uh, online uh, to get that sort of sense of what that devotion looked like, which was much more than the occasional appearance turning up occasionally at the gathering. Growth doesn't happen by chance, as this passage from Acts 2 shows. The church were constantly together, sharing everything they had, their time, their treasure, their talent. And the result was that their numbers grew daily. 
Jesus taught that he is the vine and we are the branches. That if we remain in him and he in us, then we will bear much fruit. But apart from him, we will achieve nothing. In other words, if we want to grow as individuals and as a church, we have got to spend time with him, as the Acts Church did. If we don't do that, if we're not prepared to take this seriously, then nothing of any substance will be achieved. No matter how clever our Vision 2020 process has been, no matter how well Tom casts it when he stands up in, later on in, in six weeks' time, two months' time, nothing is going to change in this place unless we take this issue of prayer seriously. So today I want to look at that issue. I want to ask first question, what did the disciples pray about when they met together? Well, of course, we don't know that specifically, but I would suggest they probably play, prayed about uh, these three things. First of all, to get to know God's will and plans for themselves, individually and collectively. Then they would pray for each other, to celebrate each other's joys, successes, and settle each other's fears and concerns. And thirdly, what it was all about at the end of the day, to be able to bring people to Christ, to grow the kingdom of God, what today we might call revival. Many of today's churches, I think, sadly, have a nasty habit of making things much more complicated than they are. Only last week I received an email that said this. For those listening on the web, I'll read this out. We are delighted that, and I've um, hidden the name of the guilty or innocent rather than be embarrassing. We are, we are delighted that somebody has offered to lead a morning study session hanging by a thread the questions of the cross at Christchurch... Dot, 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 from 10 a.m. until 12.45 p.m. He will discuss the, and now we get to the complicated bit because I'm not sure how to pronounce this stuff, but sociological, apologetic, and homiletic questions of Jesus' crucifixion. Tom would have pronounced that far better than I. And I know being a lay minister, I'm supposed to understand these things. Now, anybody fancy going along? <laughs> Perhaps there will be some, and I hope seriously there are some, who will find that uh, a long session, three hours plus, both helpful and enlightening. But in all honesty, I'm not convinced that the apostles would have had a clue what this actually meant, and that they, that they uh, nor the early church believers, would have had the inclination to go along. They would have been far too busy living out Christ's command to go and make disciples. And obviously they were pretty successful at it. The early church kept things simple. And prayer is not complicated. It's pretty natural. Listening to the radio recently, I was struck by the comment that whilst the numbers of people who go to church regularly now may be relatively low, although I have to tell you it's 4.5 million a week on average, which is a substantial number and far more than go and watch football every week, for example. Um, nonetheless, nearly everybody, this program was talking about prayer, nearly everybody utters what they unashamedly call a prayer from time to time. These may often be desperate emergency calls for help in difficult times or other requests thrown up for any number of reasons. But as our Healing on the Streets team discover week by week, many people who would never set foot in a church are very happy to be prayed for. And many others would argue that they, are, they feel close to God and pray in their own way, listening to music or being with nature. And we shouldn't knock that. I often pray when I'm out walking the dogs or doing the garden. But biblically, prayer is different to just throwing up the occasional plea for help or an acknowledgement that we live in a wonderful world. 
Christian prayer is about deliberately spending one-to-one time, intimate personal time, chatting to our Creator, and for time praying alongside and for each other. And Jesus' teaching on the subject of prayer is not difficult to understand. When the disciples asked him to pray, asked him to teach them how to pray, he replied in just a few short, simple verses. Don't be like the hypocrites, standing up in public places and banging on in order to impress everybody else. Rather, go into your room, close the door, and talk to your father. And when you do so, don't babble like pagans using loads of words. Just keep it simple. One of the best seminars I went to at this year's New Wine was the early morning seminar on the Lord's Prayer. It was hosted in a tent run by Flame and our very own Jan Ransom who's going to be speaking tonight. Now, talk to Jan about prayer, because I tell you, when Jan starts to pray, the good Lord listens in. Where are you, Jan? Where are you, Jan? Come on. There she is. Have a chat to Jan. And she's preaching tonight, so do come along uh, to the service tonight. Now, in a series of talks in this seminar, we were reminded that God is our Father and the Father of all creation, that we can come to him because, having been adopted into his family, we are heirs to his kingdom. That this kingdom is not just a place, but a personal relationship between the king and his people. And that this relationship, which is open to anyone and everyone, is established in the hearts of believers when they are spiritually reborn, born again, by accepting Jesus Christ as their personal saviour and asking for and receiving the Holy Spirit into their lives. And the speaker at the seminar painted what I thought was a really nice picture, a lovely picture, of Jesus as our elder brother putting his arms around our shoulders and saying, come on, let's go and talk to Dad about this. He won't ignore us or trip us up or be against us. So come, sit alongside me and see the world from the Father's perspective. And together we can then pray for his kingdom to come on earth as in heaven. We can pray in ways defined by that perspective, freed from asking for worldly stuff and irrelevant junk, but simply ask him for whatever is sufficient for today's needs, for forgiveness from our sins, to be kept from temptation, and to be protected from the devil's work. Now, all of that, I hope, rings a familiar chord. Richard's going to come and read to us now from Matthew chapter 6. And look at it uh, in your Bibles. It's the reading where the disciples asked Jesus to teach them to pray. And this is what Jesus says. Richard, come on up. Yes, the reading is from uh, Matthew's Gospels, chapter 6, starting from verse 5. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. 
This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from from the evil one. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And thanks to you, Richard, as well. That's the starting place. That's what Jesus taught them. The family prayer. It's where we begin to understand that God is our Father and that he loves to engage with us quietly with whatever is on our hearts, alone and amongst a community of believers. And in that passage, when Jesus talks to them as you, I think there's two things going on. One is you as an individual person, oh, early church, oh, disciples uh, in particular, you on your own and you collectively. And interestingly, what he says to them is go into this room, uh, which could be an inner room uh, in the temple, in inverted commas, or it could be just a room in their own homes, but close the door. This is one of, I think, the only time that Jesus basically says, shut out the world. This is a time for you to speak with your father. And so he encourages them to do that. Now, in many ways, praying together, I think, is comparatively, relatively easy. And actually, as a church community, I don't think we're that bad at it. But the truth is that collectively, I think we can make greater use of the opportunities that are available here in church, not just on Sundays, but throughout the week. So, for example, the early morning prayer on Wednesdays or the Friday prayers that have been established recently, praying for revival. We used to run half nights of prayer here fairly regularly. Maybe as we cast the vision, we need to think about that. And actually, interestingly, I don't want to give you a hard time here, but interesting, responding to Tom's challenge. The reality is, and I can can say this because he probably wouldn't want to, how many people actually did that? How many people sat and read their Bible? Do you take this stuff seriously? Do we? Do I take this stuff seriously? Because if we don't take it seriously, then we're not going to be able to move on. So I do think, though, having said that, with our life groups and so forth, that we're not bad at this collective prayer. But it's the personal prayer. On the other hand, I think praying alone can be much more difficult for all sorts of obvious reasons. And I want to try and paint a picture that I hope may help Now imagine you're at dinner with your favourite and closest companion, someone really important to you. The dinner is in a fine restaurant where everything is arranged to give you candle-lit privacy. You are aware of other people around you, but their activity doesn't disturb your intimacy. From time to time, the waiter comes alongside to take your orders, to refill your glasses. But mostly there's just the two of you, talking and listening sharing all that is happening in your lives, the worries and concerns, alongside the happy events and the celebrations, all set within moments of comfortable and intimate silence. In prayer, the person we set aside time for is God, time with him to hold our most intimate, deepest and personal conversations. At such times, the world is not banished, but it is pushed away into the shadows, into the periphery. Prayer is never unrelieved solitude, but carefully protected and skillfully supported intimacy. At the end of the dinner, you leave the restaurant still in companionship, 
and you enter the busy, noisy, fractious world. The conversation can, of course, continue, but it is less personal, less intense. Other things catch your attention and distract you. There are things to be done, people and stuff that demand your time and your focus. And although we may attempt to listen to God even then and in the hours that follow, the intimacy has been lost, snatched away and shut out by the worries of the world, what Jesus in one of his parables, his stories, calls the thorns of life. So setting aside such a time is the expression of a desire to listen to God at first hand, to speak to him at first hand, and of being prepared to make the arrangements to do so. It stems from the conviction that the living God is immensely important to us, and what goes on between us matters, and it deserves exclusive attention. Why then do we find it all so difficult or unrewarding? The truth, of course, is that there's probably many reasons. But leaving aside idleness, I reckon there are a couple of things going on here. First of all, all too often the tables we decide to sit at are closely surrounded by loads of other tables, with chairs being pushed and pulled as other people join the throng, pushing past, talking loudly amidst the blaring music and the cacophony of a ridiculously busy world. And sometimes that's the way we often prefer it. Why? Because the truth is that sometimes we can be afraid of being alone. We're not comfortable with our own, uh, own selves being alone. We're afraid of silence, afraid of having a light shine into our hearts, afraid of not getting the answer we feel we need, afraid of facing up to what is happening, maybe unravelling around us, hiding amongst a world that never stands still, that constantly demands our attention, allows us to avoid facing up to all of that. Or maybe the reason for hiding is that we see ourselves as nothing but a bit player in the great scheme of things, that we aren't important enough for God to be interested in us, that he doesn't really care for me. Although we may genuinely believe that other people's prayers can be answered, all too often we can feel that no one is listening to these prayers, that heaven, to quote Psalm 13, is locked in silence. Roger McGuff, the fantastic Liverpudlian poet, once wrote, All the world's a soap opera, and all the men and women are merely extras. Paradigm Shakespeare's Seven Ages of Man, McGough sees us all as but bit players who drift into and out of the action. And there's no doubt that we live in a world that seems to reduce to everything to the level of a soap opera. Celebrities rule okay. Self is all that matters, along with earthly success, whatever that means. The lives of so many of us, including our spirituality, can all too easily be seemingly governed by the goings-on of the stars of stage and screen, catwalk or sports field, and set against them, we can feel sidelined and unimportant. The result is that alongside countless millions of others, all we can do is listen and watch and only dream of what we might have become. Our impoverished souls, commented Bishop James Jones, feasting on the crumbs snatched from the tables of the celebrities, surrendering ourselves and our families, however reluctantly, so gullibly, to this new world. 
And then even when we do make the time to get away from it all, even when we are prepared to come out of hiding and break away to snatch some time alone, all too often the person sitting opposite us on the other side of the table is ourselves. And the waiter is God. We can't have dinner without him around, but he's no longer an intimate and uh, participant in our discussions. He's something or someone we just give orders to, complain to about the quality of the food or the noise or the other diners. Maybe, just maybe, we thank him occasionally during the meal and once it's all over, we may even give him a tip. But the person we are absorbed with is self. Our moods, our troubles, our frustrations, our interests. And it is those things that we dump unceremoniously onto the table. And then we leave the restaurant behind and forget about the waiter until we can find the time to pop in again for another quick and unfulfilling meal when we may or may not remember the waiter's name. But the world is not simply a stage, a giant TV screen, a soap opera. And we are much more than just bit players who drift into and out of the action. We are, all of us, unique, special, magical human beings loved by a creator who knows us by name. Now, do you believe that? I hope so. Because if you don't believe it, you will not want to engage in this intimate conversation. God loves you, knows you by name. And he has a plan for you. He wants to show us a life in his eternal perspective. He wants to spend time with us to show us that we belong to a kingdom that is universal, eternal, and unbounded. He knows our problems and frustrations, but he has plans for us, plans to prosper us and not to harm us, plans to give us hope and a future. And he waits patiently to show us what they are and to bring contentment to our lives and to grow his kingdom. Knowing that and believing that and holding on to that, we can then see prayer as a key part of our day, a release, not a chore. And we can determinedly plan in the time, be it early in the morning or late in the evening or whenever suits you best, to have those intimate times with a Father who loves us and who always hears our prayers, responding either with a yes or a not yet or a no, because I have something better in store for you than what you're worrying about at the moment. And having done so, we can find the peace of mind, a peace that the world doesn't understand and cannot possibly give us, the peace of mind to leave the restaurant still in companionship and confidently re-enter the busy, noisy, fractious world to live fulfilled and contented lives, holding firm and building the kingdom of God alongside our fellow Christians together making a difference in a world that desperately needs to hear the good news of Jesus Christ so that it can be released from Satan's tyranny. Prayer is as easy as breathing. And what we want to do is give you an opportunity to put some of that into practice. So we've set up three prayer stations. The first is up here in the altar. There's a table and uh, some chairs around it. And it's an opportunity to come forward and have some quiet personal time 
around a small candlelit table, a chance just to chat and listen to God quietly. The second is at the back, where we want those of you who would like to do it to gather in small groups of two, three or four and share and pray quietly with one another, asking each other what, what your concerns are, what do you want to pray about, and just sharing and praying about that. And finally, in the garden room, where we can stand together and pray into the kingdom of God, to pray for revival. And you may not be surprised to know that we've asked Jan to lead the, prayer room, uh, the garden room prayer. So uh, go into the garden room if you'd like to pray out loud for the kingdom to be enforced, for revival to come here at St. Paul's. So three options. We've got about ten minutes to do this. Uh, We're going to be called together. Joe will call us together when the time is right. And we're going to sing together a a song before we then share a meal together, as that Acts 2 church did, share communion together, which Tom will lead us through. And final point, if any of those ideas leave you feeling a bit uncomfortable, then please do feel free to stay where you are. Just sit quietly and reflect on what you've heard, what I've been saying, and assess your own personal response to it. So you're free to do that if you would prefer. So, front, back, garden room. Where we go, Joe will call us in when the time comes.